Hey friends, thanks for checking back in. My guest this week, Mr. Matt Walsh, my physical therapist. Matt practices here in Portland, Oregon at Evolution Healthcare and Fitness, one of the coolest holistic healthcare and training facilities you'll ever come across, a place with amazing people and practitioners who have supported me a ton since we moved here back in the fall. And Matt was specifically a person that I found at a very low moment in my career, a moment when I was really questioning my ability to ever get back to true health and true fitness. It was a moment when I really just had lost all confidence in my ankles and feet. And for those who follow me and have, you know, followed my career, you'll know that ankle instability, ankle sprains have really been my Achilles heel in what has otherwise been a relatively injury-free athletic career for which I am exceedingly grateful. But that was not the case last fall when I first got in touch with Matt. And he really is one of the most critical people in terms of my ability to ultimately regain confidence in my body and health in my body again. As you'll hear, you know, at the, at the time, I was having this experience where when I was out running, my ankles would just roll and turn and sprain seemingly out of nowhere and for inexplicable reasons, even on non-technical trails. And it got to a point where I even asked Matt, as you'll hear in my, our interview of, you know, is this over for me? Have I done too much damage to these ankles to the point where they're just not going to be conducive to running trails? anymore going forward, which of, of course was a pretty daunting and terrifying prospect for me as somebody who derives not only my living to a large degree, but also an immense amount of my joy from being out running in the mountains. And it was under Matt's guidance that I really was able to get back on the road to health. And it was not easy, but it was incredibly instructive, I think, for people who might be going through similar things. I'm not somebody who has a lot of experience doing physical therapy. As I said, I've been really blessed in my athletic career to be relatively injury free. But the little experience that I do have makes me think that Matt's approach is pretty unique. And I want you guys to learn from it because I think it's something that we can all implement to a certain degree into our own training. I hope this encourages you to do those little things and maybe even get in the gym every once in a while, but don't take it from me. Take it from Mr. Matt Walsh. Okay. I'm here with Dr. Matt Walsh. Is, is that an appropriate? It's actually not doctor. It's, a, it's it? a fascinating thing in America <laughs> is that every, every, uh, every physio in this country has a doctorate degree, but uh -huh. I, studied so long ago they didn't uh -huh. even offer them is that right so, yeah so i'm a so i'm a i'm a mister i'm a bachelor of science mr matt walsh <laughs> well that should not take anything away from the value of what you contribute in your field mr matt walsh and um i want to get like a an intro into who you are and what launched you on the career path that you've been on sure. um but first to just kind of set the stage i am a patient of yours and I want to absolve you of any uh, confidentiality mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. considerations before we get into it. I want you to feel free to speak openly about our work together and um, uh, reiterate for people, and I will say this in the introduction as well, is that you really did help me in a profound, profound way and voice my gratitude about that here Thanks, at the Mike. beginning. Yeah. And we'll get into why that is. Um, but first, before we do that, Mr. Matt Walsh, mm -hmm. Who are you? Can you describe uh, your uh, your career path and how an Aussie bloke like you ended up here in Portland treating sure, athletes? Sure, sure. I, um, I trained as a physio in Australia 33, 34 years ago and uh, probably did what most Aussies do. Um, had a couple of years of working in the field and put a backpack on and then, you know, just went AWOL for a year. Just literally lived out of a backpack for a year and travelled the world and got into that sort of crazy lovely lifestyle and and ended up in 
Canada after that, uh, in Calgary of all places, um, and fell in love with a few kind of work projects that I was into at the time. I ended up getting a position as the Canadian cross-country ski therapist, physiotherapist. Um, loved, 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 loved those athletes because they're just crazy, lovely, precise endurance athletes and that, that sort of precise endurance stuff really fascinated me and mm-hmm. continued to be a bit of a theme. And then I moved from there to Victoria on the coast and uh, hooked up with an amazing clinic with a, a mate of mine who's now you know, one of my best mates in the world, great mentor of a guy from, from New Zealand, which is you know, unheard of for Australians <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to have a good mate who's, an, who's yeah, a Kiwi. Yeah. Um, but... Um, and then I worked with you know, the Canadian rowing team and the under-23 rugby team while I was there because I had a background in rugby. Um, and then it kind of led me to the US. And then, and then the rest is history because it was based on love. Mm-hmm. So I fell in love with this gorgeous girl, moved to Portland. The rest is lovely, you know, <laughs> kids, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what was it that uh, made you want to get into to physical therapy? Like mm. were you an athlete as a kid? Yeah. Have you always been interested in yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I was – my dad will tell the story that uh, that when I ran track as a kid, he would sometimes not be able to tell who I was on the track because all the kids looked the same, you know, sort of blonde hair and bare feet. And uh, he said I was the one who was always looking at his own shadow. So I was obsessed with movement when ah. I was a kid. I was totally obsessed with it. I would, I would like have my hand on the table. I'd be making little running feet motions with my fingertips and. Yeah. Uh, were you fascinated by sports and trying to kind of dig into what it was? And then I was I was an athlete, so I so I ran track and I swam. And my mum was a British national champion swimming, and my granddad was an Olympic gymnast. And uh, I got into cricket and kind of had a you know sort of semi professional pathway on that. Had to decide between that and physiotherapy, mm-hmm. but. I knew that sports wasn't going to – I wasn't going to be that good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rugby, I was good. I played first-grade rugby. But, you know, you can look at me. I'm tall and skinny. I really haven't been that different. I've had a little bit more beef on me before. So I had to have a career. Yeah. And I liked teaching. Um, I loved being with people. I was fascinated by movement. I thought, shit, I don't want to be in a job where I'm stuck behind a desk. <laughs> Although at the moment I am, right? <laughs> Corona Central has, has left yeah, us to yeah. have all have desk jobs. Yeah. Um, so it led me to physiotherapy, which is what it is in Australia, physical okay. therapy here. Mm-hmm. And, it, and strangely enough, like most of my students over the years will say, you know, oh, I had a really influential physical therapist who treated me or oh. something like that. And I'm like, I had one physiotherapy session and it was horrid. Really? Like it was the guy was, you know, God rest him. It, it just wasn't good. Really? You know, oh. it, was, yeah, it was a really abysmal sort of approach to it. And so in hindsight, when I got into physio, I could kind of look back on that and say, I will never be that. Really? You know, it will always be something else. <laughs> and then I had some amazing mentors as well. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. And you've been practicing for, what, 30 years now? 33. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, and we, love it. You've uh, clearly developed a, a very successful and effective method for yourself, which I want to talk about a lot. Sure. Um, you and I met each other, I think it was the end of last year, the end of mm-hmm. 2019, around like mid-November. And I, of course, was coming in after having spent, you know, eight months basically battling pretty severe ankle instability on yeah. both sides, including one major injury in April and, um, you know, and then on my other side, an ankle that had historically been my worst ankle. So mm. broke my left ankle in April, but my right ankle was always kind of like my problem ankle. And so when I came to finally see you... Um, I was really in a, in a somewhat desperate place. Yeah. And um, I want to want you to sort of like describe that first session that we had hmm. together um, where, you know, we sort of like had a little discussion and you put me through a battery sure. of tests. Yeah. Can you just kind of describe that a little yeah, bit and I'm, sort of what, what your strategy is with that first so, evaluation? So I, I'll, give you, I'll give you the personal side of it first. So you in particular, you came to me... I was the second person you were going to see. So you were going to see somebody else mm-hmm. and then you came to see me. So I had a little bit of a, bit of a chip on my shoulder about <laughs> I, had, I had to kind of get into your head and get you to understand that like, no, I'm the guy. Yeah, okay. For you right now, whatever it might be, you, you've landed in a good place. And my sense was that for, for all your outward confidence 
your movement wasn't confident. Yeah. Like you'd lost confidence in your movement and there was this sort of boogeyman on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to try and get across to you, like I do with a lot of you know, very accomplished athletes, where your success is high and you're, you, know, you're, you know how to kick the can, you know how to make yeah. it happen. But I had to get inside your head without knocking you down to say, it's okay, you've got some deficits here. And these deficits make sense to me. Mm. So my, my number one thing that I have to get across in, a, in an evaluation is something that makes sense. So I just call it narrative meaning, meaning that the story has to make sense. It's got to have a pathway. Like we go to the movies and you want to go and tell your wife the story of what the movie was about. It's got to make narrative sense, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise she's going to go off and get a coffee by herself, right? So... So your story was recurrent ankle instabilities, fracture, still competing but not having the confidence in your foot strike like you used to. And, you know, you must have used the word fear or lack of confidence a few times in that first evaluation so that by the time I get to the physical examination, I've already made it clear, like, I'm in your camp. Like, I get what's driving you or in this situation what's driving your baddie, you know, what's, what's stopping you from being free because most athletes you know they're doing it because they love the freedom yeah. they love the freedom of the motion and the freedom of exploring it and you know knocking it over the top and whatever it might be so push comes to shove physical examination the thing that struck me about your movement first was that you were high centered so you were kind of a long way from the ground not literally because you're tall but because you were kind of sitting with your hips high all the time mm-hmm. your knee wasn't really flexing into contact in the way that I would have expected mm-hmm. from your body shape. I would have expected you to use those quads a little differently. Mm. And so you weren't. You were kind of up high. And then the other thing was that you were like the leaning tower of Pisa. You were sort of teeter-tottering from side to side. Yeah. And that was like, whoa, that's a long lever on a high centre that is just going to create instability. And, yeah. and what you'd learn to do was you'd learn to make your foot strike um, a protective foot strike. So viewers, listeners, if you picture yourself as a sprained ankle, the one thing you don't want to do is land on the outside of your foot. So one of the ways you can protect that is you turn your foot outwards. So the next time you're running down a steep hill, you know, you you look what you do, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to get up on your toes, but that's precarious. So you turn your feet out a little bit and that allows your foot to pronate a little bit more. And so your weight is now on the medial side of your foot, your inside of your foot. And you'd done that so consistently and then you had to tip your up, your upper body the other direction yeah. to kind of get your weight over your foot. But now what you had was you'd shut down your glutes. Mm-hmm. And you know, if 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 America is focused on one thing, it's glutes. And you know, we're we're, glute, <laughs> we're glute centric yeah. here in America. More ways than one. <laughs> More ways than yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Goes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You've either you've either you've either got them or you want them or something yeah, like that. Exactly. So. So that became the, the sort of the first session was about, okay, he's probably going to test a little weak in his glutes, but yada, yada, yada. You know, he's probably heard this a thousand times. You've got you to get strong glutes. Instead, I had to say, why, as healthy athletic me, are my glutes, no matter how much strengthening I do, not doing what they're meant to be doing? Mm-hmm. They're strong enough to do it. Why aren't they doing it? Well, they're not doing it because you're not moving in the way that they need to ha- actually turn on. Yeah. So... So if there was a, if there's a, a philosophy or a theme that sort of drives what I'm doing, you know, you, you'd suggested to me before I came in, you know, do I think that my 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 approach is strength focused? Yeah, it is, but but it's it's precise strength, uh-huh. and it's strength for a reason. Right. Like, there's no point just giving you biceps because you're a runner, obviously, right? Yeah. So if I gave you great glutes, but all they could do is create deadlifts. Uh-huh. So what? Right. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for you as a runner. So it's only valuable when it's functionally put together. Of course. So that's a great introduction and I think perfectly encapsulates our initial interaction. And you talked about my verbalization of my internal fear and my lack of confidence, and that's absolutely a correct characterization of how I was feeling. And mm. Before I came in to see you, I had already been through months of like really doubting whether or not it was ever going to come back, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and seeing other specialists, seeing other people and really having a deep doubt as to whether or not this was actually 
getting to a point where I would had damaged my body to the point where it wasn't going to come back. And I actually asked you, and yeah. you uh, asked you if it was worthwhile to get MRIs, and you said, "Well, you know, it doesn't hurt. It'll give us some idea of we're sort of heading in the right direction and doing the right things, and to see the extent of the damage that's done." Um, and I, so I went ahead and did that. But I remember having the feeling of just like zero confidence mm. in my feet and running on trails that normally would just be like normal, benign, everyday runs. And my ankles just turning like for no reason yeah. and being so frustrated about it. Yeah. And, you know, you doing your uh, initial evaluation on me saying, you know, actually, like your ankles are actually pretty solid, you know, doing the tests that would indicate whether or not there was a, um, you know, a ligament ruptured or whatever. And when I eventually did get the MRI and send you the results, you know, it was it sort of lived up to what you had anticipated it was going to look like in those results. So mm -hmm. can you maybe talk a little bit about some of those tests that you did on me yeah, and what sure. you were looking for? I mean, you said already the, the weakness in your glutes. Mm -hmm. um, maybe describe that ankle stability test and yeah. any other things you think are relevant. So in PT, there's sort of a... Uh, maybe an unspoken philosophy that we're always trying to kind of isolate problems and then integrate them into a bigger movement pattern. Um, and that isolation might be that you're isolating a ligament, so bone connecting bone, or a tendon, muscle tendon connection, so that's sort of the power unit. Or it may be down at the, the sort of the intra-articular. So, so inside the joint surface, is it actually smooth? Is it glide? Or is the connecting tissue all around it, the capsule and so forth, and the ligaments again, are they so lax or traumatised that you're truly unstable? Because sometimes, um, you know, all of us in the healthcare professionals use the word instability a little bit too easily. Mm -hmm. And we also use the word stability a little too easily. And, and people tend to take away from that, oh, stable means it doesn't move. Mm -hmm. and that's BS. Stable is it moves as well as it should for what it's being asked to do. Right? So the word I like to try and give people instead is this sort of fluid control. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got fluid control of something, it's stable. Right? It's stable for the task at hand. Sometimes, so sometimes that needs to be really high demand stuff, like you need to turn it on right now, you need to shut it down. Now other times it's like it's got to let it, let it move a little bit. So the tests are, starting at the ankle, you do muscle tests, which is just heavy resistance in such a way that I always win. So I have to win. I've got to find out how much you've got. I've got to kind of break the load, right? Yeah. So it's isometrically how much can you generate. Sometimes we use a dynamometer, which is like a little handheld force device. That tells us how much capacity you can generate at that moment. And I can probably come back to that, but just as a sort of a, <laughs> okay. as a, sort of a philosophy around yeah. that, that's all it tests. It yeah. just tests your confidence. Right. It doesn't tell you how strong you are. Okay. It tells you your confidence. Okay. Right, important difference. Because in 10 minutes, if I told you, you know, we ran a story that said, oh, you're fucked. Right. Um, you know, your ankle's going to fall apart. It's unstable. And I tested it again. Mm -hmm. The load capacity would probably drop. Ah. See what I mean? So there's a psychological. There's a total psychological component to every muscle contraction. Yeah. So, you, so you've got to understand that. Okay. Then we did these sort of structural stability ones where I basically grab bones and try and pull them apart. Yeah. And, and there's a particular one on your ankle that is fairly commonly unstable when you've had multiple traumas. It's yeah. called the anterior draw test. Yeah. So it kind of slops in and out of the right, joint. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that's the end of the world. Yeah. It just means, okay, we're playing with something pretty darn structural here. So yeah. he's going to have to have really amazing power, strength and control. Or you need to start exploring options. Or you might need to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or you might be so gone. Yeah, and it just goes back to sort of, I think what my overall point was in that my feeling of being completely unstable was mm -hmm. not necessarily because I had done so much damage to my ankles that my ankles themselves were unstable. Yeah. It was that there yeah. was so much dysfunction in other parts of my body, yep. weaknesses, imbalances, yeah. and that's what was creating the instability in my feet. Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary of it, actually. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it was a kind of a light bulb thing for me, too, and, mm. and actually it was the first time where I actually felt hope of like, mm. okay, now I've got this visual of what's actually happening in my ankle, and you know, I spent a lot of money to get both my mm -hmm. ankles yeah. MRI'd. 
And so finally I was like, okay, like this isn't a structural thing. It hasn't gotten to a point because I actually remember saying to you like, doc, is it over for me? Mm -hmm. Like, is this not going to, is this not coming back? And it wasn't until I got the MRI to where I actually felt confidence that, okay, you just have to keep, you know, buying into this um, program and eventually you'll, you'll start seeing payoffs. And that's exactly what, what happened now before I, we get into more of like the specific work Mm. that I was doing. One of the earliest things that we did together was a running form evaluation. Can you talk about that and and sort of what we, what we learned from that and how it informed our progress? So I think I'm I'm saying a little bit of this from memory, but, but my understanding, and maybe you'll correct me and say, no, 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 you didn't, you didn't say as much of that was that that sort of high centered movement Mm -hmm. was, was apparent. There was a little bit more out towing than I had expected. Um, you know, you're, you're a pretty runner. You've got good movement. You're really efficient. Thank you. You're welcome. I was basically nude when we did this uh, evaluation, <laughs> too. <so. laughs> That's right. There was that. We got a little closer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the thing that, that really struck me was that uh, if you think of kind of side-to-side movement as being so critical for this injury because it's mm-hmm. the side-to-side stuff that, that your ankle's screwing up on, is you want to take this kind of cumulative index or score of like, okay, so I know that muscle strength-wise at his ankle, he's solid. Does his ankle, despite that strength, still wobble from side to side? Well, yours kind of wobbled the other direction. It went into pronation. Okay, but pronation creates a slightly unstable midfoot when you go to push off. Okay. So you lose a little bit of power on the backside. So that's important to kind of know, okay, his body's going to be trying to play catch-up during the latter portion of the gait cycle. And one of the ways that you'd learn to do that was to move your trunk differently. It had both a protective mechanism, but it had an adaptation mechanism. So you were bending your trunk from side to side, like dropping your shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, like you were trying to be sexy or something. And, uh, and, and commonly what happens is that people actually drop their pelvis. They sort of let one side of the pelvis drop. Yours didn't drop dramatically. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the exact numbers we got on yeah. it, but like, you know, three to five degrees is what we're looking for. Uh, you were probably a little higher than that, but I don't think you were up in the scary zones, but you were you were way swaying the top body. Right. Yeah, which is part of the reason why we went with sort of a lot of upper body, core, thoracic, strength, arms overhead type strengthening stuff. Beautiful. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad you said that because it leads into exactly, you know, how I want to orient our conversation where mm-hmm. you discuss the excessive lateral mo- movement in my upper body and then, of course, we addressed it doing core work and stuff but before we move on from this evaluation and to jog your memory and maybe you want to add Mm, a little something here one of the things that stuck with me in my memory was that i reach out Uh, and and reach out with with both feet basically but more so my right foot which has traditionally been my worst foot and so basically over striding Mm -hmm. while my upper body is moving side to side so I'm landing out in front of myself in yep. what is uh, inherently fairly unstable position while my upper body is also yeah, wobbling. That's right. that's right. I remember the knee angle being reduced, so that yep. was the overstride. And I was landing okay. with nearly a straight leg, yeah. with, on my right leg especially. Yeah. But I remember you saying something when we were looking at the, the video of it, of you're like, oh, so, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but you said, and this was like a perfect encapsulation of like, again, like a moment where I was like, okay, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Total buy-in mm. on my on my side, which was, you know, this, whatever you were looking at, this indicates maybe a little tightness in your left hamstring and your right hip flexor, mm-hmm. which I had never told you about before, but are two things that like I've always felt. Like my left hamstring is the first thing that goes and the last thing to come back in terms yeah. of fatigue and soreness and stuff. And my right hip flexor too, like is always something I, I feel like I have to stretch a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, but it was really crazy to then be watching this video together and you saying that kind of out of the blue and having it be totally confirmed by my, you know, right. uh, experience of my own, of my own running. So, um, cool. So, and just to like set the table a little bit more, are you, is it fair to say that you work mostly with runners? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. I do. Yeah, so that's I, like your focus. Yeah, How long yeah. has it been that way? Most of your career? A lot of my career. Yeah. There's been, there's been moments where 
I've seen a little less in the running department because maybe yeah. I was working with the cross-country ski team yeah. or I did some stuff on the PGA Tour or, you know, I was working with a yeah. professional dance company for a little while. So, um, but it's almost always been more than half my caseload. Okay. You know. Well, um, I fell into the right hands. <laughs> you fell into the right hands. <laughs> All right. So let's talk specifically about our work together. Sure. Um, so we already talked about how your focus is very strength focused. Mm -hmm. And for me, as somebody um, who likes to think that I've always like taken the small things seriously, like I sort of had a loose sort of strength program that I did myself, it never really evolved or progressed it over the course of like three, four years of doing it pretty much right. once or twice a week, every week. Yep. And so, and you mentioned the importance of it being kind of focused yeah. work. Yeah. So maybe describe what you mean by that. Of course, like intuitively, of course, that means we have to have a purpose behind what we yeah. do. Yeah. Specifically, what were we looking to do with me? So there were two, two components to your program. Um, we, needed, we needed to have enough strength in your, in your upper body your trunk, like you think of it as your thoracic and your lumbar spine, your mid-back and your low back, so that your abdominals and your gluteals had something to work from. Mm -hmm. Because at the moment you were like, you were swinging in the breeze. You know, there was a lot of motion going up top. So your quads and your hammies and your ankle stabilizers were all having to work harder mm -hmm. to try and kind of look after that big willow that was sort of swaying around there. You know? <laughs> it was a big, big willow. Big willow. So... Um, so we, we had to get you to feel it. So you had to actually have what we'll just call neuromuscular conditioning, which is really kind of teaching your body how to perceive, am I in the green zone or am I in the red zone? You know, kind of knowing when it's getting close to that yeah. cliff of that's not good control. Yeah. So we had to put you into situations where you could have some success but that there was learning, right? So we kind of followed this like we wanted it to be about 80% of the time you're basically getting it right pretty well and then 20% of the time you're sort of screwing it up mm -hmm. because then there's learning. Yeah. Right? And so a lot of that was the daily routine of things like lunges with adding rotation, with adding arms overhead, with putting a dumbbell in a single hand initially or you know maybe in double hand initially because you're a little hopeless at, at that. And yep. We had to kind of get you to slow down and stop talking and just kind of focus on what you were doing and, and kind of get that down so that, in that very controlled environment, you're in charge. Yeah. So that when you get into the chaos of you're fatigued and it's a trail and it's a race and, you know, there's something unexpected, your body's like, I got this. Yeah. So we want you to have that sort of fallback mechanism. And then we wanted strength. And the strength that we particularly wanted to pick up with you, again, was kind of upper, upper core spine strength. So it's kind of making your core work a little bit differently. Um, but also we had to tackle some hamstring stuff. Um, because of that overstride, that knee that was slightly straight, we knew that your hamstrings weren't controlling the movement at the end of your swing phase well enough. Mm -hmm. Like they weren't pulling back. So we sometimes call that a, a pour back or a pullback mm -hmm. kind of motion where you sort of sweep your leg out in front of you in swing phase and then you surely should be pulling your foot to the ground. Mm -hmm. Whereas you were leaving it out there and kind of waiting for the ground to tell you where everything was going to be. Uh. And so what we wanted you to do was kind of get that sense of shortening it up on the front side so that you could lengthen it up on the back side. Yeah. Because you were spending more time out in front out and in having front. to break yeah. than you needed. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah, and the uh I think the neuromuscular thing is is important to is important to talk about too and sort of harkens back to what I was saying about the MRIs and my feeling of instability mm -hmm. being not as related to structural instability as it was from sort of proprioception yeah. and yeah. brain instability and not knowing where my foot was in space and not yeah. being confident in where it was going to land yeah. basically. And so that was one of the main things that we were working on with, as you said, putting a dumbbell in one hand, having weight overhead yeah. that sort of wants to tip you in one, one direction or, the, or another. And just to kind of paint a picture for people as to what your method looked like or what my experience was. So I go in, have my evaluation, mm -hmm. then we go into the gym. And I, as you'll uh, 
you'll agree with, always felt like really unathletic or unimpressive on at least the first time that we started a the new exercise. The first time we would do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every yeah. time I would come in and we progressed my program, mm -hmm. I would feel like I had never done anything athletic in my life. You know, like <laughs> Sorry about that, there's no agility. There's like no balance. I'm like, yeah. how am I ever going to do this? Yeah. And um, so it was very much like, you know, in the gym, like it wasn't as if we were sitting on tables yeah, and, yeah, you yeah, know, like looking at my <clears throat> stride evaluation. It yep. was very much in the gym, give you some homework, yep. send you on your way. Yeah. Is that typical in your field? I haven't seen a lot of PTs, but that was one thing that I really appreciated. Yeah. It was like, take this home and do it. Yeah. And it's up to you. You don't need to come back every single week. Yeah. We're not going to charge you every single week. Yeah. Take this home and do it. Come back in three weeks, four weeks, whatever it was. Yeah. It works for me for certain people. Yeah. So if I can kind of look at your history, you know, you haven't been a doofus repeatedly who's just done stupid stuff mm -hmm. and you're conscientious and you're thoughtful and, you're, and your perception of your movement is good. Like you know when you were doing things wrong. Yeah. You'd laugh out loud. Right. You know. But you were also a quick learner. So that was really apparent was you yeah. would you would be screwy on something the first time. We would stop giving you conversation. We just let you work it out. And by about the twelfth or the thirteenth rep, you know, you yeah. were like, Ah, oh, I'm getting it now. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, Okay, he's gonna get it. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> you know, we don't have to worry. We don't have to send out the troops. Yeah. So so in that sort of scenario, when I look at athletes and it's a bit like um, I should think of a good analogy, but I can think of my son at the moment of like he's physically adept. He's 20 years old. He's a good runner. Um, he's physically adept, but he's not mature mm -hmm. when it comes to actually putting it down and getting it done. Like he needs still to have that sort of novel learner thing. Sure, like, yeah. okay, here's the program. Here's the reps. Here's everything you do. Here's, if it went bad, this is what you should do, right? Yeah. Um, so that wasn't the case for you. So for a lot of so my athletes... an athlete is self-motivated. Absolutely. You, you know that they'll, they'll yep. take the stuff to the gym and do yep. it. Okay, yep. cool. But I try really hard. Like in, one of my philosophies is to say, I want you to be a better therapist than me. Yeah. I want you to basically kind of know it so well yeah. that you make me obsolete. Right. That would be great. That's awesome. Yeah. I also noticed on your website it says, my goal is to get you out of the healthcare system. Yeah. <laughs> take care of yourself and yeah. get your health in your own hands and, and empower people that way, which I think is... Really cool. Um, so I turned 34 this year, mm. or just a couple of weeks ago. You're old, mate. So we started started working together when I was 33. Mm -hmm. And, you know, very much in my sport, feeling like I was still in the middle of my prime, you yeah. know, coming yeah. off what was probably the best season of my career, and then before hurting my ankle. Um, yeah, really feeling like I was coming into my own as an athlete. And then the ankle injury and the really prolonged recovery and the fits and starts of it and probably trying to come back a little bit too quickly initially threw my body out of whack yeah. uh, in a, to a very significant degree. But I'm curious if it's typical when you see athletes start to kind of approach their mid-30s yeah. to where they have to really emphasize this more. Yeah, I think it, I think it is that way. I think that um, it speaks to a number of things is that maturity in an athlete is knowing better and better mm -hmm. how hard you can push yourself and what will happen when you do that. Like knowing here are the, here are the signs that, you know, that I was reading a book yesterday and it said, uh, I got so good at living in the desert that I could smell water, right? Okay, now, yeah, you can't yeah. literally smell water, yeah. but you can pick up all the cues, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. And... Um, and I think that really good athletes can kind of smell the problems coming, right, better and better. So when you hit your 30s and your 40s, you've got to get really good at that. Yeah. And sometimes part of growing up as an athlete is recognising you've got to be humble mm -hmm. about it. Might, I might not be able to do this all completely on my own anymore. I might not be invincible. Mm -hmm. I might be human. Yeah. And that will come with injuries and maybe it will take a village to help me. Mm -hmm. for a period of time and I've got to get my head out of my ass and go, that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay to say, I don't know. So. I love that, learning to smell water. And just, 
Yeah, just like being so in tune with your your personal environment to mm-hmm. know like what you need help with and yeah. what you're good at and what you're not so good at. And I think it does only come with a certain level of maturity, but also youth gives you a certain level of immunity, just yeah, strength. Yeah. And you get a free ticket. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is there anything else like specific that – you see kind of happen to athletes as they approach their mid thirties and beyond that makes it more important or anything else in that line of thinking? Yeah. So I think that two things happened. We used to think that tissue changed fairly dramatically when you started hitting late thirties, early forties, that everything literally kind of dries up. Mm -hmm. You have less volume of fluid in key essential structures and so you end up with the margins of tissues fray a little bit more they wear a little bit more they develop a little bit of a spurring on joint surfaces things like this and so we took that as like okay everything sort of declines at about the fourth decade but then we started looking at athletes who basically didn't take that approach of i'm going to back off when i get to my fourth decade and really what it was about was it was about people were backing off Uh. they'd stopped doing strengthening they'd said oh i'm 40 i better be a bit careful or i've injured myself twice this year or or they never took it seriously yeah 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 and they didn't clean it up fully yeah so i think there's there's two sides to it one is that you've got to keep taking a very disciplined athletic approach to your training like you 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 have to be wise yeah like i sometimes say to my like 50 year old 60 year old athletes like act your bloody age yeah like, be smarter. You're not being smart. Like, look me in the eye. Tell me you're going to be smart. Right. Smart is you're going to train consistently. Yeah. Or if you have break, <clears throat> you're not going to come back and try and train at the same level. Yeah. Because your body doesn't do that. It's kind of like a leaky bucket. Yeah. And when you're a kid, you could put anything in that bloody bucket. And then now you're a master's athlete. Nah, you've got to put the perfect stuff in the bucket. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're a, you're a you particular – you've got to plug the leaks as, as, as well. And that's the other side of it, right, is you've got to yeah. plug the leaks. So plugging the leaks means you've got to pay attention to little things. So I try and convince people as long as they're not worry athletes because there are a lot of athletes who just worry about everything and those people you don't want to do this to. to but, but if you've got a confidence athlete who's intentional and kind of focuses in a good way, then you say to them, I want you to have your problem list. I want you to sort of be on the back of your, your training journal. And you just look at it occasionally you go, okay, have I dealt with my big toe that doesn't bend? Yeah. Or have I just been forgetting about it because it doesn't hurt? No, no, no. Now's the good time to look after it. Uh-huh. When things are good, that's the time to look after the problems. That's exactly what I want to talk about now. Mm. So being somebody who works with a lot of injured athletes, mm. you also do work with healthy athletes yep. to help them be better and to prevent these sort of catastrophic injuries that – at least I had been through. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, like what the difference is between your approach yeah. when you're dealing with an injured athlete versus your approach when you're trying to actually help somebody improve their performance? Sure, sure. So when – if you think of this as a spectrum, right, so from one end of the spectrum is pain, trauma, disaster, fear, can't move. <clears throat> Everything at that moment is focused on the big bloody red flashing light right that is your ankle that's sprained or whatever it might be right so i can get in there and give you all the cleverness in the world but it means nothing because your body is saying excuse me my ankle feels like it's broken Mm -hmm. and i gotta fix that so the focus is completely on the target tissue okay and there are secondaries that you've got to look at that will make that target tissue get better faster but you know do i have to be able to turn my head to the left 50 degrees when it's a big toe problem no i don't but do I have to be able to rotate my ankle properly? Absolutely, because yeah. it's close to the problem. So I call that the bullseye approach, right? You work the, out, yeah. Yeah, get the stuff that's right at the center of the bullseye and you work outwards, mm-hmm. okay? So when, you're, when your injuries disappear and now you've only got minor niggles and maybe the, now they're completely gone and now you're just in performance mode, you're just at the other end of the spectrum. And now what becomes more important is the wholeness of everything. So that's the moment where I put on more of the yeah, every, every movement is important as long as it contributes to what you're trying to do. Every movement is important. So it's a holistic approach. It's we're going to clean up as much as we possibly can in every department that we possibly can, but still focusing on your history. Mm-hmm. Like you got, it's got to be relevant. Mm-hmm. 
You know, otherwise you're in the gym for three hours a day and that's right. just stupid. And so you're still taking the same strategy, same of, strategy. of looking for the deficiencies. I yep. mean, because even healthy athletes have imbalances. Absolutely. And when yeah. they are neglected, that's when things could potentially yep. escalate to the point where it does develop into an injury. Yeah, so not everything gets the same weight. Yeah. So it's all about prioritizing or, you know, what physios love to call clinical reasoning. Yeah. So it's really just making a priority. It's like your left knee isn't as bad as your right knee. Mm-hmm. How do I know that? Well, I do three or four objective tests. Uh, I listen to your history and I say, okay, we're going to spend a little bit more attention on that one because it's problematic. So the phrase that Dave McHenry, my old boss, used to, used to love to use was like hit the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, get the obvious stuff sorted out. Yeah. clean that up because often just cleaning that up cleans up all these ripple effects that have gone on around it. Mm. Um, when I was younger, I used to treat everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you would come in with a big toe and I would be looking after your jaw at the same time. Yeah. You know, it was like <laughs> because apparently the body is a machine yeah. and that's all that counts is that the whole machine is perfectly tuned. And, it, you know, it was really cool but it didn't get me better yeah. results. Uh, got me worse results. Interesting. Yeah, so... Being focused. Well, I mean, again, to speak of my personal experience, after going through a few months of progressing our program mm-hmm. and seeing actual results, like when I was out running, just feeling not only more stable and confident in my feet, which was my number one goal, yeah. but also actually feeling like stronger yeah. and more durable. And just thinking to myself, like, why the hell have I not been doing this <laughs> since I was 25, you know? Yeah. And uh, of course, it just it unfortunately takes those uh, those traumas and those yeah. learning experiences to to prioritize that stuff. But I, I just wanted to mention that because now that I do have experience working with you, um, and I am as close to healthy as I've been in a long time, mm. my intention is that we'll keep doing our we'll work keep together going. Okay. in okay. the post corona world I'll, I'll keep, yeah exactly and, uh, when we can actually see each other physically to the, yeah so that yeah. it's not a situation where I, I put my program on the back burner once mm. i get healthy and then you know wait for the next catastrophe to happen to come back and see you so i just think that's an important thing to flag for for people as they think about their own health and, and strength routines um so one of the other things that really caused a lot of my ankle problems at least in from my perspective, is my lack of dorsiflexion yeah, in my sure. ankles. Yeah, yeah. Can can you talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, and why that's important for, yeah. for ankle stability and yeah. maybe other things too? Yeah, it's. Imp- I mean, it's a. It's a. There's really no joint that's not important. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. It's. I don't want people to think one joint is more important yeah. than another. Um, you know, they're all part of this lovely kinetic chain that's right. trying to kind of create this efficient really well sequenced movement so the example that you gave about me looking at a video and saying oh it looks like he's got a hamstring and a hip flexor coupling mechanism there is simply because i I live in this world of biomechanical snapshots Mm -hmm. i know that at that moment in the gait cycle all these things are happening on this side of your body and all those things are happening on the other side of your body so there's length required in these two tissues there's strength required in these four tissues there's stability required here etc etc so when you come to the ankle, the ankle's upward flexion, its dorsiflexion, its ability for your knee to get beyond your toe, so to speak, is critical when you're obviously ascending a hill. It's critical in your loading phase. So when your foot hits the ground, that's part of the way that it absorbs force. And that absorption of force transfers up the chain and allows other structures to do their job. So when you don't have any range, now if you don't have any range as um, – a middle distance runner, like an 800 meter runner, for example, you don't need as much range because mm-hmm. you spend the whole time up on your toes. Um, you're in explosive power kind of phase you know, a lot of the time. Um, there's not a lot of range required. But for what you need to do, you need a little more range than you had. And so there's two sides to every problem when it comes to limitations in mobility. You know, maybe three. <laughs> Is structurally the joint can't do it. So you've got a bone spur, you've got an architectural change in the joint, you've got something stuck in the joint, you know, whatever it might be, or you've got a true shortening of the tissues. And I'm like emphasising true because invariably the tissue is not just short for some dumb reason. Mm-hmm. It's there because that's where it's strong. So if you get it strong uh. in a lengthened position, 
it lenses. Ah. You with me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's always two, two sides to that, like recovering mobility in a joint yeah. that are key. You've got to get strength in a lengthened position. Yeah. So you've got to have enough strength to be able to load it in the lengthened position and then you've got to have the passive mobility to go there. Yeah. So we did that with you a couple of ways. We did a lot of like eccentric loading of your gastroc and your soleus, yeah. so those deeper muscles. And probably, you know, the next time we cross paths, I'll make even more of an emphasis on your soleus mm-hmm. because with the knee bent, we're starting to understand more and more that it's probably the critical one when it comes to Achilles problems and foot problems uh, and so on is that we've been spending more time in the gastroc. We should be spending more time in the soleus. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Interesting. And one of the other things I remember you saying is that when you do have that lack of dorsiflexion, which again is when your toes are being pressed back towards your shins. Yeah. So people can visualize that at yeah. home. When you have that lack of dorsiflexion, of which I have, have very limited yeah. mobility or, or uh, dorsiflexion in that direction, and your foot is forced in that direction, mm-hmm. and you don't, have the, yep. the, uh, you don't have that mobility, yeah. the only thing then for it to do is to roll outwards yeah. in the form of an everted ankles invert is it so it can go either way (laughs) you can actually go either way that's okay that's right (laughs) so so i don't want to get people think that that it only compensates one way the classic way that a stiff ankle compensates is it actually pronates the foot it inwardly rotates which is it everts the heel the heel goes outwards the midfoot goes inwards Uh you collapse the foot basically um and that allows you to get your weight further forward the problem now is that you do that for a longer period of time during the gait cycle. And so now you've got this unstable foot that you've got to try and push off with. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like pushing off on a loose bag of bones. Yeah. Um, or it's like running on sand. Yeah. You end up using your gastroc, using your hammies, using your hips to do everything that should be mm-hmm. structurally stable in the foot. So the mobility plus the strength is exactly. really key. Yeah. yeah, that was one thing that, again, just like sticks out in my memory is, yeah. is you know, if you don't have this dorsiflexion and your foot's forced into this position mm-hmm. and you're reaching with your foot at the same time mm-hmm. and your upper body the is swaying. swaying side to side laterally, that no wonder you feel so unstable. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've read this. Have you ever read the article that was written about uh, Steph Curry with his recurrent ankle sprains? It's no. called... How Steph Curry got the best worst ankles in sports. Huh. I remember the title because I read this article now like six or seven times. Oh, okay. I'll send it to you. It's yeah, really yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. But it, it just harkens back to the time in Steph Curry's career, like I think 2011, 2012, where he was having the same thing that I was going through, mm. where he was just like dribbling down the court, not even like with a defender on him, and he'd roll his ankle, mm. which is sort of how I felt yeah. by the time I came in to see you. It's like, yeah. I feel like I can't even run on trails anymore without yeah. my ankles rolling. Can't like, trust it. Yeah. So anyway, um, again, just a interesting kind of personal anecdote as somebody who's really benefited from your program. And when I talk about your program, to give people a visual of, of sort of like what it looks like, hmm. basically when I left your office, I was sent a PDF which basically had this Excel spreadsheet style um, sort of exercises for me to do and it was broken up into my daily exercises Mm -hmm. and then exercises that I was going to do two days a week can you talk about what the difference is between the daily stuff and then the two day a week stuff yeah the the stuff that you can do every day is postural endurance work it's neuromuscular education work so it's the skill set stuff and the more repetition that you get on that the better Mm -hmm. it's like mileage it's like you cannot cheat on mileage you can't cheat on the neuromuscular stuff you have to do it, uh, if we use that leaky bucket analogy, when you first pick up a new skill set, you got to practice it. You know, you, you don't get to be good at the piano by playing it once a week. you got to do your scales. So it's the same thing. You've got to have that muscle memory that you're hitting it every day. Um, so, and it's not complicated. I mean, it, it might be complicated mentally at first, but it's not complicated time-wise to carve out 15, 20 minutes really is all it, you know, yours might have been extensive because I didn't like you. So <laughs> No, I mean, I think the, the yeah, everyday not, stuff would take yeah. me a total 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, it's just simple yeah. stuff. And it's a bit like getting up in the morning and sort of brushing your teeth. It just kind of sets the healthy tone mm-hmm. for the day. It's like, all right, here we are. Body knows this, remembers that, and it kind of carries over for a period of time. So maybe you duck out for a run straight after it, 
it's like your body's done its dynamic warm-up and it's kind of tuned in to the ones that were a little dormant. Mm. So, for example, we might do some little isolation exercises that might have been just as, as basic and banal as a TheraBand exercise, mm-hmm. which has no true strengthening benefit. I'm going to throw that out there oh. and piss somebody off. <laughs> There's so little resistance on TheraBand okay. that really, are we changing the strength of anything? Absolutely not. You're not even close to the training threshold for most of those tissues. What you're doing is you're just... You're just re-educating and recalibrating the confidence for it to go through a range of motion. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it fatigues a little bit, but like 30 repetitions, yeah. 40 repetitions when it's fatiguing. You know, we're really about a long time under contraction load. Yeah. And that's really valuable yeah. still, right, to know that you can kind of hang on for that period of time. So let's imagine you had a you know, sustained slope that you had to pitch with. So you're running across, you're traversing across something and you've got that bottom leg is kind of out of that. It wants to roll to the outside the whole time and you need to be able to know that that lateral stabilizer can hang on there time after time after time after time. So that's the endurance stuff. You get it done every day. And then the twice a week is building your capacity. It's like I just need you to be stronger yeah. so that you've just got more to play with. You know, you just overall, you're, just, you're more athletic. And some of that is very specific. Uh, muscle strengthening stuff, like it has a, you know, kind of it looks like running. It's functional. That's the coolest yeah. word of the, of the millennium. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but a lot of it's pretty boring. Like it's just strengthening. Just do some deadlifts, do some squats. There's time and time again, just having stronger legs in these various departments will serve you well mm-hmm. as long as you are a skillful runner. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, again, to kind of paraphrase and make sure that I understand what you're saying. So, the, t- the everyday stuff mm-hmm. is more of the neuromuscular yep. proprioception yep. work stuff, the yep. stuff that doesn't actually fatigue you yeah. to the point. And then the two days a week stuff is the stuff that does actually fatigue you. Yeah, it really knocks yeah. you down. We, we, would have totally this, yeah, we would have this sort of phrase of like we need to knock you down <laughs> yeah. a few times. And, yeah. and the goal that we're going for, I mean, there's variation. It depends on whether you're picking up a new skill and it's, you know, you've got to introduce it gently. But we're trying to get to that sort of strengthening zone where – we're only doing five to eight, maybe 12 reps max on something. And when you get to the end of that eighth rep, you're done. Yeah. You, know, you can't get the range out of it. You haven't got the skill in it. You've lost the rhythm of it, whatever it might be. Yeah. Like you really are fatigued. Yeah, and I, I remember just speaking of the deadlifts. Mm. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever done a deadlift until I came to see you. Right. And, yeah, the, like the first day of doing that in the gym at Evolution – I mean, the next day I was like so ridiculously mm. sore. Mm. And it's like such a, you know, hilarious experience feeling like a fit athlete who like knows what he's doing, feels yeah. like he's always been on top of the little things to go yeah. do a deadlift set. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, like barely get in and out of yeah. my car. Yeah. So maybe talk about the, I mean, so I wanted to sort of put you on the spot and ask you to talk <laughs> about like two of the, two specific things maybe mm. in those um, you know, two day a week things mm-hmm. that. Why don't you give me two? Okay, so I mean, <laughs> if you want to talk about the deadlift and how sure. how that is was beneficial, specific for what I was dealing with. The deadlift for me is contextualized as it's mid stance. Mm-hmm. It's basically it's the moment where you've got to take the entire body weight and you've got to turn it over from my body is being compressed by gravity and the speed of my movement, and, um, and you've got to be able to bring it back out of it. And so the, the ability to get crushed by a weight and be able to put all the segments together. So the deadlift and a back squat, we could probably have said the same thing, but I don't think we were real keen on putting a back squat into you, um, is that it makes your trunk have to be super stable under load because you're yep. carrying the weight through your arms, right? So that's really critical. And I think it's – I mean, I don't think – I think a lot of your listeners will be, this is not novel to them in some regards, but it used to be endurance athletes didn't lift, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hopefully we've kind of we've moved past that to a certain degree. Um, with the pros. I mean, yeah, I think still pros. for the vast majority of endurance athletes, nobody's doing deadlifts or a very small percentage of people are going to the gym and doing deadlifts. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and it's not going to make you big and chunky and, yeah. you know, bulky and have to rebuy all your clothes and it's not going to slow you down. Because the training stimulus is so high, 
when you're an endurance athlete. Mm. You've got that there all the time, constantly basically saying to your muscular system, you do not need lots of hypertrophy. Mm. So you can, you can do true heavy deadlift stuff once you've got the skill down a couple of times a week and the strength changes are amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got to look at the, you've got to look at the context of who loves, who loves to run on trails forever by themselves. They're not the people who like to go into the gym. <laughs> You know, it's just so not true. It's just not your MO. <laughs> That's why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah, it's just not your MO. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you've got to brush your teeth. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to say, you know what, you're going to get way more benefit out of this thing you don't want to do by just doing it twice a week. Just suck it up, do it. And you won't know for about two to three months. Yeah. So you can't, you know, throw it out yeah. after six weeks. Ah, it's not doing anything. You because know, it's it like, takes that long it takes that to build long. the strength. It takes that long. You get a little bump in the first two weeks. You'll feel pretty cool. Then it'll plateau. Then you might have a couple of little mini setbacks where, you know, whatever happens and you feel like, oh, I'm going to blame it on the lifting. But invariably if you just hang in there for that sort of get up to the, you know, eight to 12-week period, then you're like, okay, now you look back and go, okay, that's changed. Yeah. yeah it does. So maybe talk about the, uh, the walk with the weight overhead oh, yeah. that I did okay. just because I'm looking at my program here uh-huh. and I remember that being – one of those exercises where when you showed it to me the first time in the gym, I felt like yeah, uh, the, like a fish out of water, like I was never going to be able to do it. So I was, it's so I was thinking about this just the other day. I, you know, I, I, do a, I do a bunch of teaching and so I'm constantly kind of trying to reconfigure the way that I explain things so that, so that they're understood at a really simplistic level. Like if you can walk away with like, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. Like physical therapy is not a particularly complicated career really. <laughs> don't tell anyone is that is that basically what you do is you look for the movement that they're doing excessively and you and you exaggerate it mm-hmm. you basically go let me make that worse let me make it even harder for them because i'm going to amplify so all i did was i amplified the leverage now if i amplify the leverage and it gets worse oh i've overloaded you mm-hmm. all right that was too much too much of a stimulus so you're trying to find the goldilocks Yep. Sweet spot where it's like he's challenged, he can just get it and he can be successful enough that he's not going to th- you know, throw the weight down and run out the door screaming and never come back. And he'll stick to it long enough, he'll guarantee he'll get a change. Yeah. So the reason why we put your arms over your head was because of the trunk sway. Yeah. So, so we wanted to give you something that was really so tangible. describe it. So I, I'm putting one hand overhead. Yep. What do I have in my hand? I think all we gave you initially was uh, was a light dumbbell. Yeah, it was a light dumbbell. Yeah, yeah, just a light dumbbell over your head. And and we went from a progression of I think we started with two hands um, holding overhead, just mm-hmm. doing just doing like walking, high yeah. walking and then lunges. So you're kind of getting through some ranges of motion that have a little bit of that like you step out into a lunge, you get a little excessive, you're yeah. almost overstriding, now your trunk has to control that. Yeah. Then you move to a single hand. Now, when you're doing a single hand overhead, let's imagine you're just holding the dumbbell over your head. Maybe it's 10 pounds. And you're lunging along, and every time you do the lunge, you, you have to come out of the lunge, come right up into a tall marching position, like you're climbing boulders or you're you know, running upstairs three or four at a time, a big high march position. And now what you've, what you've done is you've learned to go from one extreme of the hip and the spine stability to another extreme. Mm-hmm. Your hip was deeply flexed and now it's fully extended. Yeah. Um, and the whole time you're having to balance this dumbbell straight above your head. So your shoulder is talking to your thoracic spine, is talking to your lumbar spine, is talking to your hips saying, for God's sake, don't make me work any harder up here. All right? like, so you better control it down <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. And then what you do is you make the weight complicated or heavy. All right? So if it's in one hand, then when you go to the other leg, suddenly it's awkward because it's like, hang on a second, everything was meant to be balanced. Mm -hmm. This weight was actually helping me balance. Now it's not. It's an asymmetrical load. Or you take the dumbbell and instead of holding it in a traditional fashion in a fist grip, you hold the end of the dumbbell like you're holding a a cup of water Mm -hmm. above your head and you balance it on the palm of your hand. Now suddenly you can't overgrip with your fingers and you've got, to, you've got to control this wobbly surface above your head. You can do the same thing with a medicine ball in your hand. Hold a medicine ball but hold it flat like a pizza and, and start doing lunges. You don't need much weight mm-hmm. and you'll instantly get the idea of like that's what we mean when we talk about core. Yeah. You know, like core is not crunches and sit-ups. It's like it's the ability to make your trunk 
Stable under load. It's functional. It's functional. The word. It's functional <laughs> word, yeah. We've got to get rid of that. We've got to find another word. Yeah. yeah. And so just to kind of describe it a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I, basically I'm, I'm marching. So I'm bringing my knees up high and yep. just setting them down, just walking basically, yep. but yep. with a, sort of a high knees yeah. type um, movement while holding a weight above my head. And so, of course, keeping it directly above myself and directly above my center of gravity is the goal. But when my trunk is unstable or or prone to moving laterally, Mm -hmm. when that happens, of course, the weight moves laterally, too, which then makes everything Everything unstable. So it is a great example, I think, of just like an exercise that I would never have done on my own at a gym that like fit perfectly into the specific problems that I was dealing with. And helped, you know, progress me um, down the down the road towards feeling healthy again. And I realize it's difficult to, like, really describe these movements. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of start wrapping up now uh, and giving people an opportunity to learn a little bit more from you. But is there one particular thing that you think most runners do or Mm. don't do that you think they they could implement or not implement? Hmm. to to make uh you know some sort of progress yeah. whether it's a general like mobility thing or strength thing yeah. any one particular thing that you see often so can i dodge the question and give you two sure please <laughs> cuz i think i don't want to get pigeonholed into just one uh in that i'm going to say that postural stability so the ability to stand on one leg go into that high march position and then go out of it into almost like a yoga pose where you're kind of reaching your hands out in front and one leg out behind you, still standing on that same leg. To be able to go repeatedly from that marching to kind of reaching or position back and forth requires really good kind of body awareness and postural control and trunk control and things like that. So I would say that Single-legged balance is really critical, but not the ability to stand on one leg. Yeah. Because I, I think, had this analogy shared with me the other day. Runners don't stand very well on one leg. They, they, they move. run, they yeah. move. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's like asking a cyclist to stay at the lights all day. Yeah. You know, some people can do it. Uh-huh. But, but the bike gets more stable when you start riding. The runner gets Beautiful more stable analogy. when, they, when yeah. they get moving, wow. you know. Yeah. So, and I mean, I've evaluated some of the most talented runners in the world mm-hmm. and you get them to stand on one leg and they almost fall over. Like yeah. it's comical. Wow. Like, because they're not made for that. They're made to move, right? So I wasn't, I wasn't the only one. You were not one. the only one. So I think that if you're doing single-legged balance, don't misinterpret it as it's kind of dynamically moving single-legged balance. That's, that's one. But the biggest one is strength. Mm-hmm. It really is. If you, could, if you could do one thing really well, it would be to do a single-legged squat fluidly with load mm-hmm. right so i use this squat sort of method that i just call a lateral squat off a block so at home you would do it standing on a chair or a bench if you've got a good stable bench obviously make sure it's stable and all you're doing is squatting with your free leg heel is going to reach towards the ground and touch the ground you should be able to get down to about 90 degrees at the knee look after your body weight have decent control be able to put some dumbbells in your hand do that 15 20 25 times fluidly be able to do a couple of sets of it. Mm-hmm. That would be good neuromuscular endurance that would then lead you into loaded under a dead deadlift, loaded with a squat. Don't just walk out of this going, oh, still into deadlifts, I better mm-hmm. go do deadlifts. Because if you don't have postural stability and control in the squat, what are you doing? You know, you're just layering load on top of compensation. Mm-hmm. And you might get some results, but it's not going to be as effective. That's kind of the balance of those two. Yeah, well, it's great and it makes so much sense. And, uh, yeah, certainly something that I think everybody can, you know, implement into their lifestyle uh, to one degree or another. Um, But so, Matt, like right now, of course, is a tough time to be a physical therapist, right? (laughs) Like you can't work directly with with people and it's sort of affected everybody's career to one degree or another. But... uh, why don't you tell people where where people can find you to learn out sure. a little bit more about this? I know you have some online stuff that yeah. you're implementing. Soon. So I have sort of two universes at the moment. One is that I do online consultations, like everybody is at the moment. Mm-hmm. This telehealth stuff, um, and they can track me down on the website, which is just walshpt.com. Um, 
or they can track me down through the place that I should be working at now, which is Evolution Healthcare <laughs> and Fitness here in Portland and Oregon, um, where you and I will work together when yes. when we actually get to be within six feet of each other. Um, and that's where, you know, obviously the real deal takes off. Yeah. I've been fascinated by how good the online stuff actually is. Yeah. Like it really sometimes is valuable just to have a session and just go, you know, you're just I, – I, I posted a – I was going to post a picture this morning. My wife corrected me, which is a far side comic where he's pushing on the door and the door says pull. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of my athletes are like that. Yeah. They're pushing on something they should be pulling on. Yeah. And sometimes all you need to do is just kind of turn the mirror on them and go, Mm -hmm. hey, look, why don't you do some pulling? Yeah. (laughs) You know, instead of all this pushing. And your world will be balanced. And you don't need to physically see them to do that. You can actually just chat to them and watch them do a couple of things online mm-hmm. and that sorts itself out. So it's been an interesting eye-opener yeah. to kind of have to work online. But, yeah, ultimately I'd like to get back to being at Evolution Healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, shout out to those good people who yeah, supported people. me a ton. And I'm so happy you're going to be there. And I can't wait to work cool. together with you yeah. more here in the, in the near future. Uh, but seriously, Matt. Thank you so much for all your help. <laughs> You're welcome, like mate. honestly, I went from feeling like my career was on the brink to really feeling confident in my feet and in my body again and finishing an 80-mile race doing really well, mm. not wearing my ankle braces and actually feeling like myself again. So I hope that gives you some some satisfaction. It gives me a lot. Good. That's why I do the job. <laughs> well, thank you <laughs> thanks, so much mate. and thanks for chat with us today. Cheers. Thank you, Matt. I hope you guys really enjoyed that one. I hope it encourages you to stay on top of those little things, maybe even get more serious about your own strength program, those things that us endurance athletes are so good at avoiding or ignoring. They really are critical to our long-term health, as I am now fully convinced. As Matt said, you can check him out at walshpt.com. He also, of course, practices here in Portland outside of the corona season at Evolution Healthcare and Fitness, which again is an amazing, amazing place. I would highly encourage you to check out if you're ever in the neighborhood. But he is also doing the online consultations as well, walshpt.com. Check him out there. He's out of work right now, so I'm sure he'd appreciate a little bit of support as well during these tough times, but he really is a great resource. I appreciate his time. I hope you guys learned something too. Okay, we'll talk to you real soon.